Hello there, and welcome to my corner. Today's topic is batteries. Thanks to my good friend Dan for the suggestion. I hope you like your sticker. So before I get into that, I wanted to tell you that I'm now available on Amazon Music. So just ask Alexa to play the latest episode. I also wanted to mention a new podcast from a friend of mine. It's called The Side Note. It's a true definition of bullshit. A few friends sit around and talk about random topics, from sports to comic book characters, even their favorite food discussions. It truly is a funny show. Check it out. The links are in the show notes. So back to batteries. Batteries are so ubiquitous today that they're almost invisible to us. Yet they are a remarkable invention with a long storied history and an equally exciting future. So what is a battery exactly? Well, a battery is essentially a device that stores chemical energy that is converted into electricity. Basically, batteries are small chemical reactors, with their reaction producing energetic electrons ready to flow through an external device. Batteries have been with us for a long time. In 1938, the director of the Baghdad Museum found what is now to refer to as the Baghdad Battery in the basement of the museum. Analysts dated it around 250 BC and of Mesopotamian origin. Controversy surrounds this early example of a battery, but suggested uses included electroplating, pain relief, or a religious tingle. American scientist and inventor Benjamin Franklin first used the term battery in 1749 when he was doing experiments with electricity using a set of linked capacitors. The first true battery was invented by the Italian physicist Alessandro Volta in 1800. Volta stacked discs of copper and zinc, then separated them with a the cloth soaked in salty water. Wires then connected to either end of the stack produced a continuous stable current. Each cell, which is a set of copper and zinc discs, including the brine, produces 0.76 volts. The multiple of this value is obtained by the number of cells that are stacked together. One of the most enduring batteries, the lead-acid battery, was invented in 1859 and is still the technology used to start most internal combustion engine cars today. It is the oldest example of rechargeable batteries. Today, batteries come in ranges of sizes, from large megawatt sizes, which store the power from solar farms, or substations to guarantee stable supply in an entire village or island, down to tiny batteries like those used in electronic washes. Batteries are based on different chemistries, which generate basic cell voltages typically in 0.0 to 3.6 volt range. The stacking of the cells in a series increases the voltage, while their connection in parallel enhances the supply of a current. This principle is used to add up to the required voltages and currents, all the way up to megawatt sizes. There is now much anticipation that battery technology is about to take another leap, with new models being developed with enough capacity to store the power generated with domestic solar or wind systems, and then power a home at a more convenient time, like say for night, when there's not enough sun to power the solar power. So how do batteries work? Most batteries contain three basic parts, electrodes, an electrolyte, and a separator. There are two electrodes in every battery. Both are made of conductive materials, but they serve different roles. One electrode, known as the cathode, connects to the positive end of the battery and is where the electric current leaves the battery during discharge. The other electrode, known as the anode, connects to the negative end of the battery and is where the electric current enters the battery during discharge. 
Between these electrodes, as well as the inside of them, is the electrolyte. This is a liquid or gel-like substance that contains electrically charged particles or ions. The ions combined with the materials that make up the electrodes produce a chemical reaction that allow a battery to generate an electric current. The final part of the battery, the separator, is fairly straightforward. The separator's role is to keep the anode and the cathode separated from each other inside the battery. Without the separator, the two electrodes would come into contact, which would create a short circuit and prevent the battery from working properly. To envision how a battery works, first picture yourself putting alkaline batteries like AA's into a flashlight. When you're putting those batteries into the flashlight and turning it on, what you're really doing is completing a circuit. The stored chemical energy in the battery converts to electrical energy, which travels out of the battery and into the base of the flashlight's bulb, causing it to light up. Then, the electric current re-enters the battery, but at the opposite end from where it came out originally. All of the parts of the battery work together to make the flashlight light up. The electrodes in the battery contain atoms of certain conducting materials. For instance, in an alkaline battery, the anode is typically made of zinc, and magnesium oxide acts as the cathode. The electrolyte between and inside of those electrodes contain ions. When these ions meet up with the electrode's atoms, certain electrochemical reactions take place between the ions and the electrode's atoms. The series of chemical reactions that occurs in the electrodes are collectively known as oxidation-reduction reactions. In a battery, the cathode is known as the oxidizing agent because it accepts electrons from the anode. The anode is known as the reducing agent because it loses electrons. Ultimately, these reactions result in a flow of ions between the anode and the cathode, as well as the freeing of electrons from the atoms of the electrode. These free electrons congregate inside the anode, which is the bottom, flat part of an alkaline battery. As a result, the two electrodes have different charges. The anode becomes negatively charged as the electrons are released, and the cathode becomes positively charged as the electrons, which are negatively charged, are consumed. This difference in charge causes the electrons to want to move towards the positively charged cathode. However, they don't have any way to get there inside the battery because the separator prevents them from doing so. When you flick the switch on your handy dandy flashlight, all that changes. The electrons now have a path to get to the cathode, but first they have to pass through the base of your flashlight's bulb. The circuit is completed when the electric current re-enters the battery through the top of the cathode. For primary batteries, like those in a flashlight, the reactions that fuel the battery will eventually stop happening, which means the electrons that provide the battery with its charge will no longer create an electrical current. When this happens, the battery is discharged, or dead, for lack of better terms. You have to throw these such batteries away, because the electrochemical processes that made the battery produce energy cannot be reversed. However, the electrical chemical process that occur within the secondary or rechargeable batteries can be reversed by providing electrical energy to the battery. For example, this happens when you plug your cell phone battery into a charger. Some of the most common secondary batteries in use today are lithium ion batteries which power most consumer electronic devices. These batteries typically contain a carbon anode, a cathode made of lithium cobalt dioxide, and an electrolyte containing a lithium salt in an organic solvent. Other rechargeable batteries include nickel cadmium and a nickel metal hydride battery, which can be used in things like electric vehicles and cordless power tools. 
lead-acid batteries are commonly used to power cars and other vehicles for starting, lighting, and ignition. All of these rechargeable batteries operate under the same principle. When you plug the battery into a power source, the flow of electron changes direction, and the anode and the cathode are returned to the original states. The next big jump for battery technology comes from Tesla, which has plans for building gigaplants for production. The size of their lithium battery pack for the Tesla Model S is an impressive 85 kilowatts an hour. This is way more than enough for domestic household needs. They're also working on a modular battery. A modular battery design may create battery formats that are somewhat interchangeable and suited for both vehicle and domestic applications without the need for a redesign or reconstruction. Perhaps we're about to witness the next generational shift in energy generation and storage driven by the ever-improving capabilities of the humble battery. Some other future batteries coming soon could be a foldable battery. The Gen X Flex battery has been developed to make bendable gadgets possible. The paper-like battery can fold and is waterproof, meaning it can be integrated into clothing and wearables. The battery has already been created and has even been safely tested, including being folded over 200,000 times without losing performance. A battery that can charge within seconds? How nice would that be? And a battery that runs on urine? No joke! Using a microbiome fuel cell, microorganisms take the urine, break it down, and output electricity. The future of batteries keep growing. There are so many different battery studies that I couldn't include them all. So hopefully I've helped some of you understand how a battery works. I know going into this, I didn't actually know myself. And so that's another reason why I'm putting this out a little late. And on that note, I'm going to Vegas next week. So there's no new episode till after I get back. But don't worry, the next one's going to be a good one. It's another topic for my good friend Dan, who wanted to know more about playing cards. Does anybody actually know the origins of these? Well, neither do I. So stay tuned. And that's my fun fact. Thanks for walking over.